Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Talking in Circles. Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow here with you tonight. We're breaking down the ISM Connect 300 from New Hampshire Motor Speedway. It was Kyle Busch's 41st career NASCAR Cup Series victory. He did it by holding off Kyle Larson and Matt Kenseth at the end of the event. But he wasn't the fastest car today. That was Martin Truex Jr., if you can believe that. Another dominant race from Toyota at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. They've led about 98% of the laps there the last two years. Have a great run there again. Bush advances to the second round of the chase, along with Truex, who won at Chicagoland. But an accident kind of put a wrench into the championship. We'll talk about that. Plus, we'll talk about the Xfinity Series and Truck Series races this weekend at Kentucky Speedway and New Hampshire Motor Speedway. And we'll take your phone calls, 917-889-8280 here tonight on Talking Circles. But first, John, it was New Hampshire. It was an ISM Connect 300. Kyle Busch wins. Uh, a solid day for him. He was a, really a second-place car for most of the event. The first half of the race was dominated by Martin Truex Jr. until an accident on lap 151. That happened really when uh, a battle for the eighth position between Austin Dillon and Kevin Harvick. Um, the two made what looked like contact coming off a of turn two, sent Harvick spinning um, and caused an accident. Kurt Busch ran right into him. Uh, then it was... Martin Schuch Jr. spun around. He got hit by Dale Earnhardt Jr. and others. Uh, I think Jeffrey Earnhardt was included in that wreck. Danica got a piece of it. So a big wreck and kind of put a wrench into the championship hopes for Harvick and, and especially Kurt Busch. Um, and it put an end to any threat that, that Martin Schuch Jr. had of winning that race. He lost his track position. His car wasn't as fast as it was early in the event. And it kind of put the, the race into the lap of Kyle Busch, who held off Kyle Larson to win the race, John what were your thoughts on the ISM Connect 300 that today at New Hampshire Motor Speedway? All but one lap was a snooze fest. And then you had Days of Thunder breakout, as Kyle Busch said whenever he was talking to Chris Devota, Kyle Busch, or Kyle Petty and Dale Jarrett in uh, NASCAR Victory Lap on uh, the NBCSN. Once Harvick got spun around by Austin Dillon, it's pretty sad that the place of 14th and 15th is what wound up causing this and messing up the day for a lot of people. Um, when Dylan got into Harvick, Harvick kept spinning, kept, kept his foot on the gas, and it, all you saw was smoke on the backstretch. You could not see. I mean, NBC had a great camera shot from the third turn dry, looking down the backstretch where you could not see anything. And you don't know how – I mean, Kyle Busch still says he doesn't really know how he got through it. He followed uh, Allmendinger to get through the wreck up high and just barely missed Harvick because he's Harvick wound up getting it stopped. But I mean, other than that, I mean, it was a snooze fest. I mean, Martin Truex Jr. Just drove away from everybody. Kyle Busch led a bunch of laps. I mean, Larson was a little bit of a challenge, but not that much of one. It's, I mean, it's getting to the point now. I mean, even with the VHT or PJ one that they put down, New Hampshire's a one groove track. And if you're in the lead, nobody's passing you. You're right, and it got to that point today, no doubt about it. I think there were really two dominant race cars all day, and nobody could touch him. I mean, Matt Kenseth had a strong day. He was in the top five all day, but he even said on the radio on post-race, 
I, there was nothing we could do to catch the 18 and the 78. Um, but let's talk about that accident a little bit. It was, you're right. It was what made that wreck to me even more, even worse was the fact that we were coming down to a stage and I know you can say to a state ending the stage, uh, the ending of stage two, it was, I think there was maybe five to go, nine to go somewhere around there. We were getting to, to the end of it. And I know you're going to say, well, one point matters. It's going to matter to these guys. Maybe it'll matter to Austin Dillon one point, and maybe it'll matter to Kevin Harvick at one point. But you would think they would use a little bit of sense and say, hey, listen, you know what? If my car's not handling as good as this guy's behind me, I'm going to let him go. we got a caution coming up. We'll work on it. We'll be able to get him in the final stage. Uh, and really, when the race comes. That didn't happen. The spin happened. Uh, like you said, Harvick tried to, to turn it and uh, created a lot of tire smoke. Kurt Busch ran right into him. That you know, Kurt wasn't having a great day either. He finished. I think he was running about 12th, 13th at the time of the accident. But you know, it took out a lot of good race cars. It took out uh, you know, ended Dale Jr.'s day for anything that he was having. He wasn't having a great day either. But it took out ruined his day. Uh, it ruined um, Martin Truex Jr., who was the leader at the at the point, was flying. He he was the one that uh, really paid for it. Kurt Busch who was, again, a 15th-place car. He's out. Harvick, he was out. They, they got connected together, and they couldn't get him off, so they both had to go to the garage, and they both were out of the race. But I think that's where I, I look at it, and I guess it's a different mentality when you're not a driver fighting for that spot, fighting for that last point before that chase, but before that uh, stage end. But to me, you would look at it and say, listen, my car, if Austin Dillon was faster or vice versa, if Harvick was faster, just kind of let him go and know that the stage is coming up and avoid a big wreck didn't happen uh and it threw a wrench in this championship hunt for Kurt Busch threw a wrench in the championship hunt a little bit for Kevin Harvick but really mainly for Kurt Busch yeah Kurt Busch is in big trouble with this wreck because he wound up finishing 37th and getting one point for the whole day and he was respectable he's bouncing back and forth in the top 15 I mean between 10th and 20th but I mean and and the thing is with the first set of um, playoff races, the first three, you're basically just trying to survive. Hopefully, you don't get any major trouble. Kirsch got major trouble today. Kirsch got major trouble today for finishing 36. He was third or into this race, and it didn't hurt him that bad. He's still in 10th place. He's still got a few points good and Dover a really good track for Hart. Kurt Busch usually does well at Dover, too against the wall he's got a he's got to make up i believe 15 points to get to stenhouse who's sitting there in 12th so it's gonna be an interesting day it's coming sunday at dover to see what bush and, and um and tony does to get them together and find out if they have a way to get themselves back into the playoff contention to make the second round yeah it really does and you know when you look at the bottom four now and we'll give you the full rundown here from new hampshire in a little bit but you look at the bottom four Casey Kane had some issues today. He's basically win or go home as far as the playoffs are concerned. Uh, there's no way he'll point his way in. So at Dover, he's basically win or go home. Kurt Busch basically in the same mind frame, I think. And then you got Ryan Newman, Austin Dillon, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., all within a point of each other. And Stenhouse is an interesting guy today uh, because he didn't have a great run. I don't think – I think you look at New Hampshire and – to me, historically, Roush has never been really good at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Even in their heyday, they were never really great at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. And I know Biffle won a race here a bunch of years ago uh, to, to win back-to-back races to start the chase. 
Um, but I don't think Roush in New Hampshire is a racetrack that uh, they've really run good at other for the last 10 years, really. Um, you know, when Jeff Burton was there, they dominated. But, other, you know, last 10, 15 years, they haven't really been great there. So Stenhouse, I think, kind of new coming in. This is going to be a race he's going to have to dodge a bullet from. He started 24th, didn't have a lot of speed in practice. His teammate, Trevor Bain, was nowhere near the front today. Um, but he salvaged a decent day. I know 15th, you look at it and say, that's not a great run. And it's not. I'm not trying to say it is. But it's a decent day. He salvaged it. It could have been a lot worse. If he ended up 24th, he would have been in big trouble. Uh, if he ended up 20th, he would have been in tr- big trouble. So 15th place run, yeah, the attrition helped. Yeah, a, a couple of cautions at the end really helped. But a 15th place run for Stenhouse is what he needed to do. Now he can go to Dover, a track that Roush has been really good at, a track uh, Stenhouse has run pretty good at in, in the past, and sort of c- control his own destiny at Dover. And I think if you asked Ricky Stenhouse Jr., if he could control his own destiny at Dover, he would have taken that. So we'll see uh, what, what they got in store over there. At Rush Fender Racing, it's going to be very interesting to see. Yeah, it should be interesting to see how uh, Stenhouse plays over. He thinks he's really good there. And, yeah, 15th place is a big deal whenever two of the people you're competing against finish 36th, 37th. I believe Casey Kane was 35th whenever his uh, tr- track bar broke at the end of the race. So, I mean, he was 34, uh, 36 laps from the end whenever the track bar broke. So he finished 35th, Harvick 36th, Kurt Busch 37th. 15th is a good move. I mean, I mean, it's not a great day, but whenever you're looking to survive and make it to the next round, 15th is a hell of a lot better than 35th, 36th, 37th, which three of the playoff contenders wound up finishing. Oh, yeah. And I think, again, uh, that's sort of dodging a bullet for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. But you look at the results here from today's race. Kyle Busch was your winner. Kyle Larson finished second. Larson did everything he needed to do. Um, you know, he wasn't dominant. I think 78, we talked about the 78, the 18, Toyota being dominant in New Hampshire. But he did what he needed to do, finished second, a strong run for him. Matt Kenseth, another solid run for him. He was third. Kozlowski, uh, they salvaged a decent day. They weren't a top five car. They were probably more of a seventh to eighth place car all day. But he finished fourth. Truex was fifth. Eric Jones uh, Clint Boyer, Daniel Suarez, Ryan Blaney, and Joey Logano rounded out the top 10 today at, the, at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Uh, Chase Elliott was 11th, Denny Hamlin, Ryan Newman, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was 15th, then it was Jamie McMurray, and we talked about the other people in the chase who had some issues. Um, you know, a 14th place run for Jimmy Johnson, and you look at Hendrick Motorsports as a whole today. Another disappointing day. I know uh, Kane got taken out because of the track bar. Junior got in a wreck that really wasn't his fault, but they got to do better here, John. 11th place run, the highest Hendrick Motorsports car today. We've been, it, it sounds like we're beating a dead horse here, but uh, you got to do better than 11th and 14th with the two guys who are really your best shot at winning the championship, and they didn't do it today. Yeah, and I think uh, they were put behind the eight ball first thing Friday afternoon whenever both uh, Chase Elliott and Jimmy Johnson hit the wall in practice. Both of them went to backup cars, and it just wasn't a good day for Hendrick Motorsports in general. And we've, I feel like, like you said, we're beating a dead horse. It's been pretty much a not so great season for Hendrick Motorsports as you look along. But the one thing you got to look at, we're going to Dover. They could call that Jimmy Johnson National Speedway. That and uh, Charlotte, the way it used to be back in the, uh, when Johnson first came into this, Jimmy Johnson just owns Dover. I don't know what it is, what he does there, how he's got it, but, 
it's Jimmy Johnson's going to win Dover or something crazy happened and somebody else gets lucky in and wins one. But I mean, Jimmy Johnson's won there, what, 11 times now. And you almost have to look at next week. It's Jimmy Johnson and everybody else, but the speed that the Toyotas have put out. I mean, you look at this race today, 300 laps other than Truex and Bush, Kyle Larson led one lap. That's it. 187 for Bush, 112 for Truex, one for Kyle Larson, and nobody else was up front, which makes it a snooze fest. I mean, you got to be able to pass. You got to be able to um, show that you're there. And pretty much the only people who showed they were there were Kyle Bush, Martin Truex Jr. Larson was up there close enough to say, hey, I'm here, but nothing he could do about it. Same with Kenseth. He was a top five car all day, but not in the same um, area code as Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. And considering Truex, the way his car got smashed up whenever him and Jr. wound up backing into each other, trying to get away from the wreck um, on the last lap of the second stage, I mean, the fact that he came back and finished fifth with as much damage as he had on the rear end of that car was pretty impressive. It was, and it just shows you how much speed that 78 team has to begin with. 917-889-8280 here if you want to join this conversation and talk in circles. But you're right, John. It was a snooze fest today at New Hampshire. The BHP, whatever you want to call it, PJ1, uh, the sticky stuff. Uh, you know, they wanted to make New Hampshire not a one-lane racetrack where it, you can have multiple places to pass, uh, the high lane, the low lane. But to me, John, it just makes this race – I don't know. Today was just – it was hard to watch because there was the leader was so far out in front – at times, and uh, really, it just seemed like nobody was going anywhere. Um, you know, we didn't really have the comers and goers, and I think the stages have a lot to do with that. Uh, but what are your thoughts on this PJ1? Is it a good thing? I mean, we've seen it work at Bristol. We've seen it work at a couple other places. You know, even this race at New Hampshire last time we were here in July, I think it worked a lot better than it did today. And really, the heat was, was – it was hot today at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, so it was sort of similar conditions to what we ran with in the summer, which makes you wonder. Um, but what were your thoughts on the PJ1 there today? I think part of it is the weather caught everybody off guard because it's been in the 60s up here in New England most of the past couple weeks. I think it's the first day we've had an 80-plus degree day in close to a month. I mean, I was taking air conditioners out of the house because, oh, we don't need them. It's getting to the point where it's fall. And then all of a sudden, summer rears its ugly head, and we're back there with an 85-degree day. And I don't think the sticky stuff – I mean, I think it wore off faster than they anticipated. And I think a lot of the crews went up with setups thinking for the fall where they weren't going to have a slick track as much as they did. I mean, one of the things with New Hampshire, I mean, everywhere else you go other than Martinsville is – I mean, Phoenix has – I mean, it's pretty flat too. But, I mean, you've got Phoenix, Martinsville – um, New Hampshire and Indianapolis are the ones with very, very little banking. And they're probably the most boring races you run into with the exception of Phoenix, because you got the dog leg where people can move around and pick lanes on that. But I mean, if you're one groove in the turn, how are you going to pass other than knocking somebody out of the way? And that's how you get the trouble with the 14th, 15th place cars of Harvick and Austin Dillon one lap before the stage ends, trying to get another position, which made no sense because they weren't going to get a playoff point out of it. They weren't going to get a stage point out of it. So you might as well just sit there right along until you hit the break. 
make your changes on your car and then move forward. I think it was a little bit of Austin Dillon just being impatient. I think he was probably upset that he's sitting back there fighting for 15th with the second stage coming to an end, knowing that he's on the bubble as it is, and he has to keep moving up trying to get himself further off the bubble. It just was impatient for him. But until they put some banking on the track at New Hampshire, which I don't think they're going to put the investment in since they're going back down to one race, it's always going to be boring. Yeah, and and Ryan Newman called it the birthplace of track position. And uh, I was hoping we were going to see that today. I think we did. But um, nonetheless, we're going to Dover next week. And, and let's give a little preview to Dover here because I think it's a, it's a driver's racetrack. Drivers, oh, every time we go to Dover, they rant and rave and say, this place is awesome. Uh, it's a fast racetrack. It's a mean racetrack. It's a, you know, a track that um, can get you in some trouble, too. You know, we've seen this place have 15-car accidents at some time. So it could be a little bit of a curveball here as well. Uh, you talk about Jimmy Johnson. I think he's a favorite to go in there. Um, but what else? Who else do you see running very good at Dover here, um, you know, and, and advancing to the second round of the playoffs? Dover's one of those places where you can run the bottom, you can run the top, you can run the middle, uh, which makes it a really good track. Um, I see Harvick running well there. And, I mean, one of the things you'll notice in practice on Friday is, like, Harvick will run where nobody else is. And if he can get his car set for where nobody else is running, he can run where everybody else does, but he can also go down to the bottom or whatever and make the pass where he needs to. You'll see Kyle Larson up hugging the wall. Like, you I mean, Kyle Larson doing the old sprint car thing where run it high and let it fly and he'll have his, but I mean, you can't discount Truex. You can't discount Johnson, but the one thing with Dover, it's a uh, self-cleaning racetrack. A lot of this stuff happens coming off of turn two and with the way the banking is, you're all going to funnel down, and you better hope that you get past it because, like you said, it can be a 10, 15-car pileup coming out of turn two because the track cleans itself. Yeah, and that's a perfect way to describe it, a self-cleaning racetrack. Um, and it's going to be interesting. You know, we talked about Stenhouse earlier. He's excited. It sounds like he's really excited to go to Dover. Um, you got guys who have – run really well there in the past. Jimmy Johnson, this is his playground. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if the Toyota dominance that we've seen here in the last few weeks continues at Dover or subsides here a little bit. Um, one of the interesting topics this weekend at New Hampshire, John, was the Joey Logano's penalty. Um, it happened on Saturday. Logano, his penalty was served on Saturday. And he didn't qualify um, his car did not pass inspection to qualify on Friday. They went through inspection about four times. So NASCAR decided that since they went through inspection four times and failed all four times, that they would take away 55 minutes of practice time. That sounds perfectly logical. But Logano and his team was to, were told that they had to bring the car out to pit road and have Logano sit in the car for the entire practice session at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. So Logano sat there while these cars are going around and around and around practicing at New Hampshire in his race car, in the heat, on pit road, just to sit there and serve his penalty. Now, there was a lot of criticism of it. Logano said it was stupid. Dale Jr. said that was stupid. Uh, in, in layman's terms, you know, we won't get into what Jr. said because he was pretty hot this weekend about a few things. Um, 
And once he's, when he gets mad, his mouth gets going. But to me, John, there's really no need for it. I mean, if you want to tell this 22 team, listen, you guys aren't going to exist in this practice session. We're going to, we want you to put a cover over the race car and you're done for the day. Go home. I would be okay with that. But this wasn't that at all. This was just, to me, it just makes it look stupid and ridiculous. What are your thoughts on Logano's penalty? Well, the other thing that kind of upset me about it, the more you read it, the more you listen to it, is they never let Joey fire up the car. So he's sitting on pit road. The car's not running. He's sitting there on an 85-degree day with his fire suit, with his helmet on, with the window net up. I mean, he could only turn his blowers on for a little bit because the batteries aren't really meant to do like your regular car battery does. It's just there to start once, not start over and over and over again. So I think it was stupid because, I mean, heck, Logano could have wound up having a heat casualty. I mean, having some sort of issues because it was so darn hot in the car. And that's not, that's not the cool thing to do. I think putting it out on pit road to say, hey, you can't work during this 50 minutes while everybody else is practicing, I think I'll find a dandy with that. But I don't think Logano needed to sit in the car. If they put it out there with the cover on saying, oops, we're bad, I mean, it's like putting the dunce cap on the kid, trading him the entire school, saying, look, I'm ass. It just doesn't work for me. I mean, it, looked, it made the sport look bad. I mean, whenever you see um, somebody pass interference penalty in football that winds up, winds up making a 65-yard gain, I could have put a red shirt on them and say, look, I had the pass interference penalty whenever they go back out for the next play. No, they go back out and play. I mean, it just is wrong. It's not no sense. I mean, the fact that they did it through inspection, the fact that they had issues with all that stuff, I'm all fine with taking practice time away. I'm all fine with making a touch car during this. But to sit there and make the driver sit in the car, had no, it was not Joey Logano's that that car did not pass inspection. Joey Logano probably does not touch. You've ever seen a driver do to a car as they put the sticker on whenever they win, when they win, when they put the checkered flag up there beside their name. That's all you ever do when it comes to the car. So, I mean, it's stupid that Joey Logano had to sit in that car because he did nothing wrong. Well, and, and the thing is, just to me, it makes it look almost childish. Well, you did this, so we're going to, we got something that, you know, I don't know. To me, it would have been better if they just sat there. And I, I understand the aspect. I even said this to somebody I was talking to this weekend. I like the fact they said to Logano, listen, you can't make any changes to the race car. It, with the, if that was part of the motive, I like that. But there's an easier way to do it. Like I said, tell the 22 team, listen, put a cover over your race car. Go home. You, do, you will not participate in this practice. You will not have anything. Go home. We'll see you tomorrow when the car gets ready for race day. I would have been okay with that. I would have been like, okay, if that's what you want to do. Now, it's hard for me to understand because I think losing those 55 minutes of practice is a major, major deal. Um, But Logano never hit the racetrack with an illegal race car. Uh, I think we should make that clear. Now, that's what inspection is for. Now, I, I know NASCAR looks at it and says, we want to get these cars through inspection one time. Um, but if you're not cheating, you're not trying. That's the old saying. And I think NASCAR's trying to get that saying out of this sport. But with the race we saw today, 
man, maybe the tolerances are a little too much because I'll tell you what, um, they're fighting over a sixteenth of an inch. I mean, and then you hear something like the, you know, we saw, I believe it was Kentucky for the Xfinity series. NBC comes on and they show inspection and these guys are holding up blankets and holding up tarps and everything to keep the cars under the shade because the laser inspection is sensitive to light and might throw something off. And basically say a car is illegal when it's not. And when you think about that for a second and you think about what happened today or Saturday with Logano, it makes you kind of scratch your head and go, maybe we're a little too crazy here with this inspection. Um, I don't know. That's the way I look at it. I think if you look at, there's a few things in NASCAR that shouldn't be played with size of your motor, the gas you're putting in the car tires shouldn't be played with everything else should be sort of a let's play and figure out how we're going to do it. I mean, they should make it look like the cars that you drive on the street. But other than that, I mean, I don't like the fact that the rear end is going down in a whole different direction than the front end. I think everything should be straight. I mean, you have your, how much camber you're running the tires. I can live with that, but I think it should be as straight as a regular street car should be. But also you have the wiggle room of where you put your weight, where you do um, the different parts inside of it. How heavy, I mean, it's got, I look at it, if you don't mess with the engine, you don't mess with the gas, you don't mess with the tires, it makes weight. You don't mess with the spoiler or the uh, ride height. Well, they don't even have a ride height anymore. So if you don't mess with those things, have at it, boys. Put the best race car on the track you can and try to make it so the car looks straight instead of going down the straightaway at a four-degree angle. So it's interesting you bring that up because something I noticed the last few weeks, and I, I brought it up to my attention today to somebody I was watching a race with. Um, if you look at those race cars, these cup cars now, the back left tire, especially with the 18 today, had the Goodyear rubbed off of it at the end of the race. Um, it just shows you how close they're running the rear fender to the rear tires, um, that they're actually taking the Goodyear off these tires because they're running it so close. And again, you know, Hindsight's 2020. You know, we used to be in a, a sport back in the 90s that was, it seemed like there was a change to the rules every week. But as a fan, all you saw was the actual finished product on Sunday. Um, and New Hampshire today, I didn't think it was great. Uh, I made that clear. And I just think maybe the tolerances are a little too much. Now, Logano, again, he didn't hit the racetrack with an illegal car. Now practice it. You could say whatever you want. Um, it's only practice and it is only practice and it didn't hurt Logano too, too much. I mean, he had a pretty decent day today, worked his way up from 39th all the way up to 10th. He did a good job at, in the race, but you know, that's what these teams try and test with is that practice session. So I don't know how, to me, it just looks dumb when you sit there and you, and you have people inside of a race car doesn't need to be in a race car. And it would have been easier if you just showed a picture. If NBC came on and said, look at the 22 garage, cars covered up, the guys are gone home. They're not allowed to touch their race car during this practice session. They're not allowed to touch the racetrack during this practice session. Good night, every good night to the 22 team. I think that would have been easier, would have been better. 
would have been a lot smarter, would have made a lot more sense to a lot more people if they did it that way. I agree. There's no sense of putting it out on the road unless you're going to just put it on the cover. But, yeah, it's one of those you tell the crew chief to go home, and you tell the team to go home, and that could be it. The car's got cover. They can show it. That way they can say. But, I mean, one of the things I, you run into and you hear a lot about it when it comes to the um, – is you don't ever – all you do is hear they failed laser inspection, but you don't hear why or what happened to it. So it 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 just makes a mess that you can't – Show what's going on. I, I'd really love to see them put cameras in there for the laser inspection so we can see what happened, why it happened, and what they're doing about it. Well, I would too. I think it would be interesting. But, you know, these teams pay spies and stuff like that. And, and these cars have run so much on, you know, the edge and everything's so um, within inches, uh, within centimeters of uh, tolerances that if one team's doing something, the team's going to figure it out real soon. So I think uh, we'll never see that happen because of that. 917-889-8280 here. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow here on Talking in Circles tonight. If you want to join the show, dial up that number. We're going to discuss a little bit of the Xfinity Series racing at Kentucky Speedway. It was last night. Um, Interesting race. I mean, it was a, a sort of a snooze fest at the end of that race because Tyler Reddick ran away with it. He won by 10 seconds. But a first career win for Tyler Reddick, driving the 42 car for Chip Ganassi Racing, uh, an Xfinity Series only race, the first race of the uh, playoffs for the NASCAR Xfinity Series. And um, a, a very good run for Reddick. He's not running for in the, in the playoffs. He's only running a part-time schedule this year, sharing that car with Kyle Larson. But he's moving next year to full-time ride with Junior Motorsports. And to get your first win has to feel pretty good there, John, at Kentucky Speedway. Well, I think it was a great week for Tyler Reddick. It was announced earlier in the week that he's going to take over the nine car that William Byron is uh, vacating to go to the cup level. I think it's great for Tyler Reddick that he winds up winning this race. The only problem is he won by 14 and a half seconds over second-place Brennan Poole from Chip Ganassi Racing. So it was a great week for great weekend for chip ganassi with larson finishing second at new hampshire reddick and uh pull pulling a one two at kentucky i think it's a it's just getting to the point where it's crazy that it's just if you get the lead nobody can touch you and that's how bad it was i mean a long green flag run at the end gave uh reddick his big lead and he just kept pulling away because once you're in the lead you've got clean air nobody's touching you I mean, you can have great, great racing in the pack, but you don't have nothing going up front. And that's one of the things that with all the over-engineering, all the aerodynamics that go into it, I think you got to make it look exactly like a car that we would drive on the street. They're going to run the Camaro. The street body stock says, this is what the dimensions are. Here you go, boys. This is what you got. Now let's see you do what you can with the engine, the tires, and how you adjust to it. But, I mean, it's getting to the point where instead of just fabricating something that's aerodynamically perfect and then nobody can get by you, make it where it is exactly what it would be on the street. Not, listen, I, I agree. I just think when you look at this race, um, I like the fact there's no cup guys in it. Uh, I'll say that much. Um, but, and, I, and I like long green flag runs. I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. But I like when you see cars fall off 
uh, handling changing a little bit. And it just seems like when we get to about 30 laps in a run, everybody stays, runs the same speed. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, we need a caution to, you know, make a change, make the changes and the changes will help for 30, 35 laps. But once we get past that, it's not going to change much. Everybody's going to run the same speed. They're going to stay where they are and there's very little passing. Um, but that shouldn't take away from what Tyler Reddick did. I think Ganassi really uh, threw a lot of money at this chase um, and they really came out and, and came out swinging and, and a great run for Reddick, a great run for Brennan Poole and, and a good rebound for Justin Allgaier. Allgaier had an issue. Uh, I think he blew a tire or had a loose wheel, something like that. Uh, had an issue, fell two laps down, worked his way back up through the field to finish in a third spot. So a great run for him. Ryan Priest finishing fourth uh, in his last race of the year with Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Priest can get a what he's going to get next year uh, as far as a ride is concerned. He, he won an Xfinity race at Iowa earlier this year. Um, so that makes you wonder uh, what he's going to get. A decent day. Led 22 laps, finished fourth, but not today that we're accustomed to seeing from Joe Gibbs racing cars. Cole Custer, I thought he ran a great race, 49 laps led. He was fast. Early on in the race, he was really, really good. He kind of, I think, lost his handle of his car a little bit more towards the end. But a solid day for him in fifth. Elliott Sadler was sixth. We didn't see him much all day, led 11 laps, but uh, he was about a top five car all day. Then it was Daniel Hemrick, Brian Scott, Matt Tift, and Ryan Reed rounding out your top 10. Any surprises there in the top 10, John, uh, from Kentucky Speedway this week in the Xfinity Series? Uh, not really. I mean, Brennan Poole um, has been pretty much a 10th place car whenever the cup guys are there, but he's got good equipment. He's running the same stuff that the 42 is. So it was a good run for Brennan Poole, which was re- I mean, a really good run for him. He's usually a 10th place car or so. Uh, Brian Scott is a good run for him. He usually is checkers or wreckers. And he's never seen the checkered, so there's more wreckers in Brian Scott's world than there is checkered flags. But I think you saw a lot of the guys who are in this playoffs comes to the Xfinity Series running up front. I think Cole Custer had a great day, and we said in our preview on Wednesday night, Cole Custer was my sleeper when it comes to who's the final four when it comes to Homestead, and he did nothing but prove that today. I mean, him and uh, Justin Allgaier tied for the points lead as they go to Dover next week. So, I mean, it's a great run for Cole Custer. Elliot Sadler's always going to be there. He's consistent. He may not win a bunch, but he's consistently up there. Um, Matt Tiff being in Joe Gibbs equipment. I mean, it just shows that I don't think he's the guy going forward. He must be bringing good sponsorship to Joe Gibbs racing because Ryan Priest, who's only run three races this year has a win, a second and a fourth. I'd put him in a car so fast your head would spin if I'm Joe Gibbs racing. Me too. And, and another solid day for Priest again. And uh, an interesting day for William Byron. He had some issues. Um, he was running about the top five when he had his issues. Came back, uh, finished two laps down in the 18th position. Now, Byron's got three wins. He's probably going to get in on this points. We always say just don't – when you get through this first round, just don't throw it away. Um and for Byron, I think he's in an opportunity where he can have a mulligan like he did this weekend at Kentucky. I, I expect him to rebound. I expect him to um, be a, in contention for a win. But, you know, another issue like this, it could put him in, in a little bit of a deeper, deeper spot. Now, Xfinity, you know, the difference between 8th and Xfinity and 12th and Xfinity this year is extremely different. 
that, you know, we talked about the preview last week. We only had about three guys we thought could win the championship in the Xfinity series. Uh, and they all came from junior motorsports with Allgaier and um, Sadler and Byron. And you mentioned Cole Custard, and I thought that was true as well. And Brandon Poole maybe looks like he might be able to rear his head a little bit here as well. But uh, there's not too – the competition isn't too great. So for Byron, um, I think he's going to make this second round. But you want to build momentum when you get to that second round and, and, and eventually to Homestead. So a little bit of an issue there for him this weekend. But I expect him to rebound here in the coming weeks, John. Yeah, I think so. He's got 17 points over eighth place Ryan Reed and – um, 25 points over ninth place, Brendan gone. Um, I was kind of surprised to see how bad Brendan gone ran. I mean, he said he got, I was listening to him on the fantasy preview show this morning. He said he had a little food poisoning going into the race and just wasn't feeling good. And they wound up being respectable at the end of the day, but it just, you can't be off when it comes to these races. I mean, he's already, he's chasing eight points on Ryan Reed and Ryan Reed. Normally you only hear about him at Daytona or Talladega, and then everything else, he's sort of like a 10th, 15th place car. I uh, wound up being 10th this week, but Brendan Gaughan is usually running better than that. So, I mean, I'm looking for Brendan Gaughan to do something this week. I'm looking for Blake Cook to do something this week. Uh, we all knew Jeremy Clements was um, running against, I mean, he's like uh, a Volkswagen running against a Ferrari when it comes to this with the equipment he has and the team that he has with him. I mean, he's making a great shot at it, but I mean, he's 37 points back. You can almost count him out. Nets 30, <coughs> excuse me, 35 points back. And <coughs> excuse me, he's the one that we normally count off not doing well when it comes to junior motorsports. Yeah, listen, I think when you think about the Xfinity Series, with this Xfinity Series only race at Kentucky, it's a good time for you if you're an Xfinity Series driver who usually runs in the 15th spot to get up there and run in the top 10 because you don't have the cup guys there. And I thought Blake Cook, I thought we had an opportunity for him to sort of rear his head, run in the top 10 all day, get some points, do a good job. They didn't run very good in that leaf filter, gutter protection, Chevrolet. Um, and I know he's got RCR equipment. And when you look at RCR all day, you know, Brian Scott finished eighth. That was the highest really uh, – Excuse me, Daniel Hemrick was seventh. That was the highest RCR car. They got five cars, so they may be spreading themselves a little thin. Uh, but not a, and, and then helping out Blake Cook as well. So that's really six cars. Um, not a great day for him. I would expect a little bit more from that team because they usually run about 15th anyway, 12th, 15th in that area anyway with, with the Cup guys. And so to go out there and finish 15th in the Xfinity Series with Xfinity Series drivers, I think that was a missed opportunity for them and Michael Annette as well. Um, you have to perform in this, in this chase, especially if you're these guys who don't have a win, don't have a lot of bonus points. You have to go out and perform, especially with these, and, and make it a little bit easier with these guys who are Xfinity Series only drivers. Um, you know, you didn't see Kyle Busch out there. You saw Kyle Benjamin, who finished 12th, had a decent day, sat on the pole, but they struggled a little bit in that 18 car. So it was an opportunity for these guys to go out and beat the 18 car this week, beat some other cars this week, and they weren't able to do it. So I think from those guys, you know, Annette, Cook, uh, Brendan Gaughan, as you mentioned, a little bit of a disappointing day, no doubt about it. Yeah, without – no problem with that one. I mean, you see whenever – I mean, everybody's back's against the wall. They have to get their – get themselves into the top eight. 
and some of the cars who you thought would have a chance. I mean, Blake Cook surprised everybody last year the way he ran in the playoffs. And he came out and pretty much laid a stinker for what they needed to do. I mean, Byron had his issues, but he's got enough points from the regular season, from the playoff points, uh, from his three wins, that he's going to move forward. And you can almost bank on that without something crazy happening over these next two races. But, I mean, Annette, the only reason he has a ride at Junior Motorsports, I swear, is because he's bringing Pilot Frying J with him. And he's the ultimate ride buyer. Hasn't done anything anywhere he's ever run, and he still continues to have a ride. And there are some really good drivers who are sitting out there. I mean, Jeremy Clements, he's doing it with his family team. And if you put him in good equipment, I think he'd be phenomenal. But he can't get in the good equipment because he can't bring Pilot Flying J with him. Or like Brian Scott was forever, where he'd bring Shore Lodge and Albertsons because it's a family business. I mean, NASCAR is getting to the point where it's slowly becoming IndyCar that if you can't buy your ride, you can't get in it. Yeah, and I, and <laughs> I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, and in Xfinity Series, I think it's worse because you know they don't have the um, the finances as far as winnings are concerned. You know, there's not a lot of money there during the purse for the purse of the Xfinity Series, so they rely a lot on the sponsorship. So I think that's absolutely true. 917-889-8280 here. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow talking in circles. NASCAR Camping Hill Truck Series race at New Hampshire Motor Speedway this week, the UNH, UNOH 175. Uh, Christopher Bell led 73 laps and won. Ryan Truex finished second. Todd Gilliland was third. Fourth was Gren Enfinger. And Stuart Friesian had his best run of his NASCAR Camping Hill Truck Series career. The Canadian finished in the fifth position for the Hallmark Racing team. Uh, an interesting day, but an interesting note to that race that people have missed is Todd Gilliland. Uh, his car did not pass the height in the rear end at the end of the race. Third place finish is pending. It sounds like it might be our favorite word, encumbered. So uh, something to keep an eye on there with that 51 team. Um, Matt Crafton, sixth, seventh was Ben Rose, Austin Sindrick, eighth, Johnny Salter, ninth, and Kaz Gralla, tenth. Eleventh uh, was Chase Briscoe. And let me just say this before we touch on how good Christopher Bell did and Ryan Truex and the other drivers. A, little, a very disappointing day from Brad Keselowski Racing. They weren't anywhere near the top ten, the top five, really. They were back into the top ten all day. Um, and Briscoe was a guy I expected, and I said this on the show earlier, I expected that maybe he could go out and win a championship. But you have to wonder, John, with the future of this team in doubt uh, and Brad Keselowski shutting this team down, how this will affect the playoff run. they got to get their stuff going because I tell you what, New Hampshire, it was a very disappointing day for Brad Keselowski racing. I wonder how many of those guys are looking for their next jobs. Um, I wonder how much they're actually putting into it. I mean, you look – Austin Sendrick was eighth. Chase Briscoe was 11th. Neither of them made a respectable showing. Um, And how much does it make you feel bad that uh, Ryan Truex missed the playoffs tied with Ben Rhodes for eighth? And because Ben Rhodes had a higher finish, a second compared to Truex's third, that Ben Rhodes made the show. And Ryan Truex's little team just was phenomenal on Saturday. 
he gave it everything he had. He led 28 laps. He ran well, um, pushed Christopher Bell as hard as he could at the end, but it just wasn't there. I mean, it's a shame, but Ryan Truex missing the playoffs, and he could be the spoiler when it comes in here. He could end up winning some races. I thought Stuart Friesen was an interesting story, considering earlier in the week when Tommy Baldwin sold the rest of his assets to uh, Premium Motorsports that part of the assets that went with it were the trucks that Tommy Baldwin built for the 52. That was part of the sale to Premium Motorsports. So Stuart Friesen and his group did a really good job without Tommy Baldwin being part of the game. Yeah, and there was talk, you know, they broke up a couple of weeks ago, um, and they have now formed an alliance with GMS Racing, and they're getting their engines and chassis from GMS Racing, and he outran every GMS Racing truck there. So that's really impressive. Now, Sauter got into a little bit of a scuffle there in a wreck that wasn't his any, any of his doing, and I think that really affected his race. He finished in a ninth spot. Um, not a bad day. You know, it's not again, it's not going to knock Johnny Sauter out of the playoffs. But, uh, you know, he, for Friesen, he outran all the GMS cars, so a good, very good day for him. Also, a guy I want to touch on here, you talk about Ryan Truex. I agree, first of all. Let me, before I go to where I wanted to go, Ryan Truex did a great job. Uh, he, is an, he has proven himself this year in a truck series with Hattori Motorsports. He can run very good if he gets a consistent ride underneath him. He came close to winning that race. Christopher Bell was in his own league. Um, he, he, he dominated. Christopher Bell is a superstar in the making. He's done everything he needed to do to prove that to me this year. You know, he's won a ton of races. He's, he's the favorite for the championship. But Truex was right there with him. And if, if Bell made a mistake, he was going to win that race. He did a great job. So uh, a call out to Ryan Truex for sure. Uh, Todd Gilland did a good job. You know, he's only run a handful of these things. Uh, a fifth place run for him, or third place run for him, excuse me, is not a bad day. But Brent Enfinger, I think he did a very good job too. Um, Enfinger's a guy who won a truck series race at Talladega last year. Um, you know, lost his ride sort of at GMS Racing, which was a little bit, a little bit disappointing. Um, and now has found his way here with Thor Sport. Um, and they're, they were a little bit behind earlier in the year, Thor Sport. I felt like their trucks weren't as good. But we're starting to see Enfinger put together some consistency here. Uh, he's a great driver. He had a great career in ARCA. And I would like to see – I'm interested to see what we see from him here in the coming weeks in the truck series because I thought he ran very good as well. I think uh, people still don't really think as much about how Thor sport was behind the curve whenever they're building, whenever their shop burnt down last year. I mean, they probably had to put a boatload of money into rebuilding that shop before the insurance wound up getting settled for it. So they were behind the power curve. You're borrowing somebody else's stuff. You only have a few trucks that got saved. I mean, they got a, a bunch of them out, but not many. I mean, so you're running with last year's equipment. You're probably rebuilding the shop and putting all your efforts into that. I mean, and now that the it's been about a year, they're getting their stuff back together I and mean, crafting a solid sixth place finish. And Crafton's always going to be around. Um, Grant Enfinger, he didn't lead any laps, but he was consistently in the top five all day. Uh, Kaz Gralla finished in the top ten. He's continuing to grow and continuing to do better. And the same with Ben Rhodes. I mean, he keeps plugging away. I mean, he got in on a technicality from where his finish was, but a seventh place finish will get it done. And it keeps you moving along. It keeps, uh, keeps you in contention when you go to Dover and Dover's one of them ones. I mean, somebody makes this, I mean, Dover's the track where it's sort of like Talladega, but on a short version, 
somebody makes a mistake in front of you and you may not see sort of like Harvick's spin today where it pretty much uh, put smoke across the whole backstretch where nobody could see where they're going. Dover, you end up making that small mistake off of turn two and somebody gets you spinning. There could be four cars piling into you before you know it. And it's something that you really have to watch out for in these playoffs. Dover is one of the wild cards that people don't really look at it as much of a wild card as it is. Yeah, and I'll tell you, um, an interesting deal with this truck series is John Hunter Nemechek. You know, he had some issues this week at New Hampshire. Now, he was able to get his truck back out, but it was a, a bunch of laps down. Um, and right now he is eighth in the standings. Now, the truck series takes – uh, six to the second round, and then four at Homestead. So they eliminate two each round. So Nemechek's on the, on the bottom. He's going to have to run really good here at Las Vegas next weekend here um, to prove to get back into the playoffs. And, and we've seen him at times run very strong. Um, he's he's a, a championship contender for sure. But you also have to keep in mind he is not a he is not with a major operation he's with his dad's race team at Minco Motorsports who does a great job but you know they don't have the money that Kyle Busch Motorsports has they don't have the money that uh, Toyota pours into GMS or Toyota pulls into Thor Sport Toyota pulls into Hitori Motorsports um, you know and Ford and all that puts into Brad Kozlowski Racing so he's kind of the underdog in this chase in these playoffs for the truck series excuse me um, but a little bit of a sour day for John Hunter Nemechek and Las Vegas is a very important race. Now, obviously, Talladega is a wild card. It can t- completely change anything, and that's the final race of this of this round for the truck series. But Las Vegas is a very important race for John Hunter Nemechek. And John Hunter Nemechek's run really good in the mile and a half this year. Um, I As bad a day as it was for John Hunter Nemechek, he's only seven points behind Kaz Grala right now. So I think it's something that's – uh, he could overcome that. I mean, the way things are right now between second and eighth is only 29 points. I mean, Christopher Bell's already 40 points up on Sauter, who's in second place. I mean, part of that's because he's got 22 more playoff points, but Bell's just lighting up the place. Um, John Hunter Nemechek can come back. I mean, he has two good races and somebody else has a mistake. He could end up fourth before you blink your eye. That's how close these i mean austin Cindric's in fifth and he's only 12 points up on john hunter uh ben rhodes is fourth he's 19 up on john hunter that can be made up in two races pretty easy oh yeah and i think um you know with truck series vegas can be a very important race for him like i said it's it's a mile and a half and it's really the last race you kind of control your own destiny in in this first round because talladega especially in the trucks it seems crazy um you know, you got a lot of kids out there who are com- in competitive equipment, but don't have a lot of experience. So they go out there and kind of drive with their heads off their shoulders a little bit. And all of a sudden, somebody's taken out and they're out of the playoffs. So you have to run really good. If you had a bad day at New Hampshire, you cannot have a bad day at Las Vegas. you got to figure out a way to um, get some points and, and run very consistently, or you could be in trouble. Nava 9 – Sorry. Um, you can be in trouble here at Las Vegas. 917-889-8280 here, Talking Circles, Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow. An interesting article, John, uh, in the Daytona Beach News Journal this today. Um, it was from Ken Willis, who uh, is a 
reporter at the Daytona Beach News Journal, and it said a uh, it's titled NASCAR may need of a maybe in need of a structural overhaul. It talks about Richard Petty and Danica Patrick leaving the sport. Um, Richard Petty might be leaving the sport as an owner. Obviously, they he doesn't really own the team anymore. That's up to Andrew Mercine, who's sort of the money behind Richard Petty Motorsports. Um, but they're in some trouble because they don't have the sponsorship with Smithfield anymore, and there's talk that they might shut that team down um, or, or at least run part-time next year. So Andrew Merstein last year – now, I don't know what has come of this, but I want to get your opinion on this, John. Andrew, Andrew Merstein apparently had a conversation with John Tisch, our owner of the New York Giants, and Brian France about a possibility of a salary cap in NASCAR. Um, now, there would be a lot of factors, a lot of people that have their um, – you know, their hands in it, a lot of things would have to change. But what are your thoughts on the possibility of a uh, spending cap or salary cap, whatever you want to call it, in NASCAR? Is it possible? Will it work? And do you think it's something that NASCAR really needs here? Because a lot of these mediocre teams, the teams that that haven't won a lot of championships here recently, seem to be uh, financially seem to be in a rough spot here. Clayton, some of the cars that have won championships are in tough spots. Matt Kenseth could be out of the sport next year because he doesn't have a sponsor. I mean, he's I mean, he's been as consistent as you can be over the past 10, 15 years. And look at some of the sponsors he's lost. I mean, he lost DeWalt whenever he was at Roush. He lost Home Depot. He lost Dollar General. He's been struggling this year to get – it's his car isn't fully sponsored all season this year. Um, Clint Boyer running in Tony Stewart's old car, that 14 cars won a championship with Stewart Haas racing. And they have been Haas automation. Most of the season, a little bit of mobile one, a little bit of rush truck centers, a couple nature's bakery after the lawsuit got settled, but there hasn't been a lot of sponsorship on Clint Boyer's car. And those are cars who are ones in the playoffs and one pretty well could have been. And Richard Petty Motorsports has struggled for years. I don't think it's a salary cap. I mean, because in reality, how are you going to um, prove your salary cap? Are you talking about how many people are working in the shop, how much you're paying your driver, yada, yada, yada? Because nobody is going to get Ford and Chevrolet and Toyota's books to say what they are putting into research, development, and all that stuff as a manufacturer. The manufacturers are doing a lot on this. I mean, the reason Tony Stewart and Gene Haas took uh, Stewart Haas Racing from Chevrolet to Ford is because Ford backed up a Brinks truck and said, hey, if you come to us, we will pay you blah, blah, blah. And blah, blah, blah wasn't 50 cents. I mean, it was probably close to 20 million or something. So <laughs> how's NASCAR going to justify this? How are they going to get everything? I mean, you have to have super forensic accountants in there figuring out what the salary cap is. I think what they should be able to do is they got to be able with the money that's coming in from TV, the money that's coming in from ticket sales and ticket sales are down. But I mean, I went to Kansas a couple years ago, talked to some of the folks at Kansas Speedway and they said they could run two cup races without a person in the stands that means no no hot dogs no t-shirt sales no nothing because they have a casino outside of turn two they're making money before anybody comes into the place 
So Kansas Speedway is flush with money, and that makes ISC flush with money. The tracks, NASCAR as a whole, are pocketing so much money, and the teams are trying their best to be able to be competitive, but you can't do that without sponsorship because so much money is sucked up by the tracks and the, and the sanctioning body that it's not fit, feeding its way down to the drivers and the teams. I mean, you look, Kyle Larson, the one week he was winning everything in a sprint car, was talking about how much more money he makes selling T-shirts at sprint car events than he does at a NASCAR race because uh, Fanatics gets a cut, NASCAR gets a cut, the track gets a cut, team gets a cut. By the time Kyle Larson gets his cut, it's like pennies on the dollar compared to what he makes when he puts prints T-shirts and sells them at a dirt track. So, yeah, NASCAR as a whole, yeah, they need an enema. They need restructuring. They need to figure out how to do this to put the best product on the field. It may not be a salary cap, but there's got to be some way to make sure. I mean, if NASCAR has to have an official battery, the money that's going to NASCAR from Exide could probably sponsor a car and make sure that somebody could be competitive in the field. And I agree. I think, you know, Barney Visser was on with Claire on Sirius last week, and he was talking about the chartering system. And we talked about it when it first came out, that it didn't matter what had changed, what they did. If they didn't make coming to the racetrack more affordable for these owners, there were still going to be an issue. And Barney Visser basically went on with Claire and said, listen, these charter, this chartering system isn't really doing what we thought it was going to do. You can get your hands on a charter, no problem now. Um, so the charters aren't really that big of a deal because he's going to shut down that 77 team at the end of the year. And, you know, if you don't have sponsorship to do it, you can't, there's, you can't even think about running and making money if you don't have sponsorship to do it. So, and I'm not talking about a little bit of sponsorship. I'm talking about a significant amount of sponsorship for these big teams to run good and to, and to go out there and do it. Um, I think they definitely need to look at it. And I think the chartering deal was nine years. They need to look at this in the middle of this and just say, and go back and have a, a sort of a refreshing of the mind and say, listen, this chartering deal has been two years. What has worked? What hasn't worked? Let's put, let's do this. Let's keep this. Let's, let's make an adjustment to this and sort of make it work. I think if the owners in NASCAR uh, did that, I think it would be NASCAR being a little bit better spot than where they are. What, what are your final words on that, John? I think until NASCAR keeps their um, – the France family keeps their fingers out of the money till before uh, they improve the product, it's still going to be a mess. I mean, but right now everything's going to the France family. Uh, between ISC and the sanctioning body, the France family is getting rich. I mean, they're even – I mean, you look, they cut back on officials. Why? NASCAR's making money hand over fist. They're printing it. They got a billion-dollar TV contract. I don't think – I think the problem's at the NASCAR level, and until they get it straightened out and figure out that the charters – you, me, and Lee in Virginia could buy a charter today and put a car on the track if we wanted to. Yeah, and, and I think that's the problem with this. There's really no value behind those, at least the value they thought they were going to get. Um, we'll be back here next week after Dover, so be on the lookout for that. Clayton Cole, John Harlow with you. We'll see you next time. Good night, everybody.